Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Life Beyond the Numbers. And this is part three of the three-part trilogy. Sounds like a bit of a tongue twister, doesn't it? And in episode 99, I looked back. In episode 100, I talked about the present And in episode 101, I'm looking forward. And the thing about looking forward is it's uncertain, isn't it? I don't really know what's going to happen. One thing I do know for definite, though, is that I am taking a short break from podcasting just until October. But this episode is going out on Tuesday, August 16th, and Life Beyond the Numbers will take a break, not from recording, but just from releasing episodes until early October. And one of the reasons for that, perhaps the main reason, I think it's kind of what I'm going to talk about today, actually, because it is about creating the future or looking to the future and the next iteration of well what is this podcast about what is my business doing going forward what does the world look like what would I like it to look like and I thought I might be further ahead than where I am today with these kind of thoughts and plans And in one way, you never are ready, as Clay would say. I know people who are exceptionally good at what they do, but they don't think they have the credibility to do what they do. They don't have the confidence. They're like, no, I'm not really going to do that one. (laughs) You're better than most people I know this. Why would you not? Oh, you know, because I don't have this, I don't have this. I'm like, they lack the credibility in themselves. No confidence. Okay. Which would be why people don't go for promotions. Can be a huge reason. Can be an absolutely huge reason. Like, I need to have this, or I need to have this, or when I get this, I'll be ready. You're never going to be ready. You're never going to be ready. I was not ready to start the business. I was not ready to go international. I was not ready to go online. I was not ready to do any of it. I just did it. I'm like, well, you know, now we've done it. I'm going to have to get ready. End of story. Matthew McConaughey. About like the, there's three people he's grateful for. And I'm going to mess this up slightly, but I'm only going to focus on the one thing. That he's always getting ready to become the guy he's going to be in five years. 
and always knowing that he's never going to be there because in five years' time, when he gets to be that guy who he wants to be in five years, he's going to have a different goal because he's now going to have the goal for the next five years. It comes to playing the game because you love playing the game, not yeah. because you want to win, because yeah. the game is and it's not about getting to that five year, it's about discovering who you are along the way and right. adapting and being flexible and building more and more. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, if you YouTube it, you kind of, I think it's three cells. It comes up pretty much straight away. It's a cool, cool speech. That's a nice recommendation. And I did go and rewatch that Your Future Self, Matthew McConaughey, it was his, Best Actor speech for the movie Dallas Buyers Club. And he said that there are three things he needs each day. Someone to look up to. And for him, that's God. Someone to look forward to. And again, for him, that was family. And someone to chase. And that someone for him to chase is himself. He chases his hero, him, in 10 years' time. And as he says, every day, every week, every month, every year of my life, my hero is always 10 years away. I'm never going to be my hero. I'm not going to attain that. I know I'm not. And I'm fine with that because it keeps me with somebody to keep on chasing. And it's kind of a nice way to think, isn't it? That actually we're headed in a direction when we get there, what will it be like? Well, we'll be looking for the next evolution, the next thing, the next step, because we don't really ever get there, I suppose, because something changes along the way. The course that we set is forever changing. And it speaks a bit to what I talked about last week, how there is no path, but the path is made by walking. And sure, I'm never ready, but I'm also more than ready. I have a lot of thoughts about my future self and the future I'd like to see in the world. So I'm going to share some of that with you all today. And with the help of some of the past guests also. And of course, having a plan is something that we all need to have or a goal to aspire to. It, it helps us to take action. It helps us to put one foot in front of the other. But we also have to be open to where we're actually meant to go. And then that becomes a lifelong endeavor. With the ultimate destination being death. And yeah, that sounds a bit fatalistic. But I don't mean it like that at all, because, again, like how we never know what's around the corner. We never know how long we're on this planet. But I'd like to take a second to listen to what John Shinnick said about that. I've got a while yet, so um, maybe we'll do this again in a few years. You've got a while yet. Yeah. So <laughs> you said 65, but yeah. well, actually, you're not I, I... stopping any day soon by the looks of it. I'm not, and actuarially, I've got another 19 years, so uh, I've got a lot to do. <laughs> and I thought about that today. I looked up what the average life expectancy is for a female in the UK. Now, I was born in Ireland and I've lived in many countries, but I live here now, so I picked the UK. And it is 81.9 years. 
And I'm about 48.9 years. And so I thought, wow, I've got 33 years, like 33 years. When I think back to all I've done in the last 33 years, and I had no idea as a 15 year old where I was going, except for the fact that I did realize, if you were listening to last week's episode, about following our own inner personal route. As a 15 year old, I didn't necessarily recognize the inner side of that journey inwards. But now that I've brought that more to my consciousness, hopefully my inner personal route for the next 33 years, not a hard thing for an Irish person to say 33. So for the next 33 years, I'll follow my inner personal route. And to do that, I read this somewhere recently or heard somebody say it. The longest journey ever taken was the journey from the head to the heart. And that is certainly something that I have pursued this year. I mean, the journey from the head to the heart. And I guess all along, the heart, my heart, has been a bit in the background. But I've been thinking more and more about how to access my inner being, my inner intuition. And I have been doing some of that. But let's listen first to what John Collins had to say about this. And I think just to finish off on that, Susan, I think the big thing for me was it was the first time that I wanted to and had to create my my own future. Up, Up until that point, all the options that I took were sort of there in front of me. It was a bit of a no brainer to walk through the door. This was the first time I had to find out where the door was and then decide if I wanted to go through it. So it was a great experience, ultimately. That's fantastic. You hear a lot about people talking about creating opportunities or creating their future. And I I do think a lot of us tend to go job to job quite easily, Uh, especially if you're in a bigger organization. It's quite easy to progress, isn't it? And move around. What was creating your future like then? Or what was creating the opportunity like? Um, It was really hard, Susan. What I've learned about that time is all of the choices, and I'm talking professionally now, all of the choices I had made up until that point, I think were very extrinsically motivated, right? So it would be what I thought might be the right thing that other people would look at that's sensible. Or in much more basic terms, somebody would come up to me and say, John, here's a great opportunity. Why don't you take it? And I would go, that's a great idea. Yes. Now, all of those things, they were great ideas, actually, as, as it turned out. But when you then think about, well, if you strip all those external things away, what other people will think, what other people are telling you, what, what is the voice inside saying? And that was really hard, Susan, because for a long time it wasn't saying anything to me. And I was like, wow. Or maybe I wasn't allowing myself to listen to that voice. So like, what does John, the individual, want to do? And when that question has been answered for you for such a long, long time, that's really hard. But I do know that ultimately understanding what motivates you intrinsically 
is really the key to, uh, it's a bit out there, but I think that's the key to happiness full stop, you know, mm. and, and it took a long time. And I'm still learning that by the way. Too. And earlier this year, I took part in a, in a course. I've talked about this before, the power of presence with coaches rising based out in the Netherlands. And we had this fantastic, I mean, we had a, a, an amazing array of teachers, guides, coaches, whatever you want to call them, but people who were basically trying to help us navigate the world in a better way. And Nicholas Janoy, in one session, had us do this deep inner work, connecting with our ancestors. And through Zoom, but it was very powerful. And whether you believe in this or not, it doesn't really matter. I think what you believe, it matters what you experience. And certainly this was my experience. He said he was going to give us a couple of minutes to just write whatever came through us. So not, not to engage the thinking brain necessarily, but to write from the heart after engaging with our ancestors. And the questions were, what is the work that is mine to do? That was question one. And the second question it was, what is being asked of me now? With the first question, what is the work that is mine to do? This is what I wrote. The deep work, the work of soul searching, the work of working with others to do the same the work of challenging others to think differently, the work of easing the burden on people's mental anguish, the work of elevating consciousness, the work of evolving businesses and people within to create more fulfilling work lives, the work of freeing hearts and minds to come together stronger. And I'll come back to the second question of what is being asked of me now later on. But that is the work that is mine to do. And it kind of feels massive. And of course, I don't have to do this alone. And I'm not alone. Something I talked about in episode 99. But those words just seem to come through me. They were in there somewhere waiting to come out. And in the last few weeks, I've been looking back to look forward, I suppose. In early 2019, I wrote about my purpose. To challenge perceptions, to change them and spread tolerance for different from me. We are all people. We are all different and unique we think differently, work differently, process differently, but we are all human. If we work off the premise of people are just people, first and foremost, and different from me is okay, can we actually make the world a better place? We need to respect uniqueness. We need to allow for similarities and differences, but realise we're all human. We're all people first. So there has absolutely been a theme. And when I started Beyond the Numbers back in late 2019, 
early 2020, I originally thought that I would work with finance people mainly and finance directors or CFO to help them see and be seen beyond the numbers. And COVID happened and everything, you know, not everything went quiet, but I was like, okay, finance people are just going to be out of reach during this time. So I'm going to do some writing. And I explored writing a book. And while I was doing that, I realized that actually that wasn't the business that I wanted to set up. (laughs) While I'd be happy to work with finance people, I was much more interested at working at an institutional level, an organizational level, at a team level, and to do exactly what I'm saying there, to help organizations understand the power of their people and dignity at work. One of my guests, Kevin, captures this really, really well. So continuous improvement is not a corporate thing that you talk about in the boardroom. It's every single person has to embrace, how do I get better at what I do each day, right? Because if you're just showing up, there's no purpose. Because we, I mean, the, the whole thing is dignity of work and sense of purpose is what is the key for the future of humanity if we're all going to actually have a functioning society, right? And so that's what we were trying to get each person to understand. Music to my ears, Kevin. <laughs> also for you. So what kept you going? Hmm. I mean, I, so I, I'm, at heart, I'm a hustler, right? And like, I like winning. So for me, it's determining what winning looks like, right? So if you're a football fan, you're going to look at how your team's doing in the standings. You're going to look at each player's statistics of how they each one is performing. And that is going to help determine to you who gets time on the pitch right? That's going to give you a determination of how to compete against another team that has other strengths. And I'm a geek for the numbers side of it too. So I would geek out on store margins. I would geek out on sales per staff member. I would geek out on all this different stuff because if you want to win at it, you've got to make money, right? So it's not about your ego. Like I have all these restaurants. It's like, no, we're making money. Staff are getting paid. Suppliers are getting paid, shareholders are getting a return, and customers are getting quality for money, right? So that's, for me, the game. And so that is a never-ending challenge. It's easy to see what keeps me going. There's always something to do for all of those different aspects. And so there's never a dull moment. And I like what Kevin says about determining what winning looks like. If we think from an organizational perspective, it shouldn't be a short-term endeavor, It should look to the future. We need to chase our hero. We need to think what will an organization, this organization, any organization look like in 10 years? And how can we help to bring this about from a holistic or systemic point of view? When I was talking to Nikki Hill recently about episode 101, she said to me, oh, room 101, 
you know, it's a way of purging or getting over your resistances or whatever. And, and, and I remember Room 101 from 1984. And funnily enough, Room 101 referred to a torture chamber in the Ministry of Love in George Orwell's classic. And there you were subjected to your own worst nightmare, fear or phobia. In fact, the thought police, like even your worst nightmare was known by the state and it was there to break your spirit. And that made me think, gosh, is that what the organisations we're in are like today? Are we being controlled? We're not allowed to think for ourselves. We're asked to think in the way that people expect us to think. So our thoughts are being controlled and it's a form of torture. <laughs> the fact that we can't be ourselves. If we are to look forward, what will the organisations of the future look like? What would be healthy? What would serve society best? And how might we do that? And these are the questions that I just get <laughs> really into and love thinking about and if we bring it back to numbers for a second again John Shinnick who we heard from earlier on would say numbers don't make decisions people do and I think that's one of my favorite quotes that I've got during this podcast series is numbers don't make decisions people do the set of financial statements that an organization produces on an annual basis is a way of relating to the world how the organization is performing from a financial perspective. And it gives different information to different users of those financial statements. I always thought that cash is the lifeblood of any organization. And to some respects, it is because an organization needs cash to stay in business. However, it also needs people. A company is just a thing. It doesn't do anything. People do. People make the company. People perform. And the numbers represent the performance of the people. And Gallup would say that the relationship between the results of a company and employee engagement is meaningful from a practical perspective. So if it's meaningful from a practical perspective, what are we doing to look at that? How do we know what influences it? I changed the direction of my business and I'm doing it again. I think it's a constant as you get different clients and try out different things and learn more and more. And I suppose one of the interesting things I learned in the last year or so is that despite not wanting to be known as the finance person, finance kept following me. And I had to ask, well, what's the reason for this? Because while I may not want to be known as a finance person, actually somebody who knows finance and part of their career has been in accounting, that's absolutely fine because it means I do have an insight into business that others might not. So why was finance following me? And I think 
or what I realized, I suppose, is if you combine my love of people with my love of numbers and accountancy or finance, whatever you want to call it, there is a story to tell. And that story is about people or that word staff in the financial statements. So is presenting staff as a cost the best way forward for the world? Wouldn't it be nice if we were to see people's past, present and future worth and we valued their unique contribution? Or maybe as an investment and we can continue to invest in them knowing that their growth is absolutely of benefit both to themselves and to the organisation. And wouldn't it be nice if we understood some of the costs, the hidden costs, the lives beyond those numbers? Like, what is the cost of allowing micromanagement, bad behaviour or bullying? What is the cost of silence when people don't speak up? What is the cost of endless meetings where people nod yes and the loudest voice in the room is heard and what people really think is unspoken or what they really mean is misunderstood at best and at worst not listened to, interrupted or ignored? What is the cost of people being in roles that don't play to their strengths? What is the cost of losing people you know you want to retain? What is the cost of having demotivated people at any level or disengaged? And what is the cost of behaviour on your bottom line? If the balance sheet and the profit and loss account are actually giving you an account of the financial state of the business, maybe, just maybe, they're also giving you an indication of the emotional state of a business. Because we are emotional beings. We are motivated to work. Engagement is a feeling, a feeling. And feelings matter. Feelings contribute to the bottom line. And the bottom line is feelings matter. Every single person in an organisation contributes to the performance and therefore the results and outcomes. And we try to control how people work, how they think. And in fact, I was looking at the book by Margaret Heffernan. The name escapes me at the moment, but I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. And she says, actually, how do organisations think? Because for the most part, they don't. They can't. They're too afraid of conflict. She says that about 85% of people are afraid to raise issues at work. So therefore, we're not actually thinking together. We're not thinking as a we or an us. We're thinking as eyes. And organisations set out to find the best people, but mostly fail to get the best out of them, she says. And she goes on to say that we chase efficiency. And efficiency works well if you can predict exactly what you need. But we need to be able to deal with what's unexpected and 
Expecting efficiency or working to efficiency undermines our capacity to adapt and respond because so much of what goes on in the world today and around us is unpredictable. We need to focus on working more effectively. And to do that, we need to access different ways of thinking, different ways of seeing, different ways of being. I'm going to play an excerpt from Glyn Bailey's episode where she talks about how we can use the numbers to look at behaviour and decision making. And remember what John said, numbers don't make decisions, people do. I'm very lucky with the people that have been around my life and that was my cousin. So I'm working as a psychiatric nursing assistant, having dropped out of university and wondering what, what I'm going to do with life. I love the psychiatric nursing. It was 12-hour shifts and uh, I'm a bit of a capitalist and there's no money in it. So he was, at the time, living in the British Virgin Islands. He was a chartered accountant and he was told to sort my head out. And he said that to me. I said, I love people. He said, well, just do the maths because numbers don't make decisions. People do. He said, get through it. And then you'll actually find that you spend most of your time dealing with people's fears and aspirations. And he was absolutely right. Absolutely nailed on with that. Lovely fella. When I think about where the future is headed in finance, we've been in a a very much a head journey. It's all about the mind. It's all about intellectual intelligence and our capability with our numbers. And when I think about what's going to happen in order for finance to stay relevant going forward, it's very much about the emotional intelligence. It's about the heart. It's about really understanding someone's uh, motivations, intentions, their desires, because when we can start to understand others' behaviors, we can be in to see how they make decisions, how that influences the choices that they're taking, what their emotions means in terms of their own biases to the way they, they make those decisions or the, the impact that they have on their team or the business. And when we can be clued into how human behavior impacts numbers, the power that a future finance person is gonna bring that sort of cultivated the head to the heart journey is gonna be phenomenal. And I think the power that finance folk get to bring when they bring more of their human and heart to the table is is far far greater than a lot of the other functions because they don't have the same visibility of the business end-to-end that finance have the privilege of, of having access to. So I do think that businesses and people in businesses have the power to change the world if we can go beyond the numbers. We won't make change because of new technologies or processes or systems. We'll make change because people adapt and change. All change in organisations involves people and that change can often be painful. And we need to support people to change, not dictate. Being told what to do. I don't know about you, but for me, it never really worked. And I need to understand it. I need to be able to relate to it. I need to be able to challenge it even, or try it out and go back and say, "Uh -uh," or whatever. But this top-down approach that we take wastes time and energy, certainly not efficient. So what does it mean 
for me, all of this? Well, I found this book. Someone recommended it to me called The Human Side of Enterprise by Douglas McGregor. And it was written, I think, in 1960. And it's kind of phenomenal because I don't know if anything has changed, which should be depressing. But I guess some things have changed. It says, but if we possessed methods enabling us to do a perfect job of selecting young men with capacity to become top execs, practical gains for industry would be negligible under today's conditions. The reason is that we have not learned enough about the utilisation of talent, about the creation of an organisational climate conducive to human growth. And he says, a manager's personal experience with people from childhood on has been so rich that he feels little need to turn elsewhere for knowledge of human behaviour. Engagement numbers are so low around the world and they're dismal, in fact. They are absolutely dismal. And if I had to think about it like this, it's an absolute tragedy that I've 80 to 85 percent of people are going to work every day just to go to work every day and not because they're finding meaning in it or something meaningful. And yeah, okay, maybe we need to understand what makes up those numbers in a bit more detail. But it's a modern day tragedy. And in the spirit of tragedies, I was thinking, well, what if Shakespeare was writing about this now? What if Shakespeare was alive today? What would his characters play? Would Macbeth or Lady Macbeth be in a toxic work environment or ruling a toxic work environment? And Shylock, would he be a disgruntled customer, supplier, employee? And perhaps Romeo and Juliet would meet at work and their relationship would be forbidden by HR. So how can things be better? Like, does it need to be this way? Do we need to have people being fed up going to work? If we don't ask these questions and if we don't relate to one another, we will live in a failed society. We need to be able to ask these questions. We need to be able to test assumptions. We need to change the conditions that people work in, not the people. And treating symptoms of workplace disengagement and not the root causes will never, ever lead to change for the better. Engagement is a feeling. We feel safe. We feel like we belong. And we feel we have dignity at work. They are feelings. We need to understand how the people that are entrusted into our care on a day-to-day basis feel about their work. Because if they feel disengaged and disempowered and all of those awful disgruntled and dysfunctional and whatever else it might be, it's like tentacles spreading out across the globe. It starts when you get out of work and walk down the street. And maybe you're not even doing that anymore. Maybe it starts when you walk down the stairs and how you treat your family, your neighbours, your friends, your community, your society, your country, your continent, and before you know it, the world. And of course, nature plays a role in that as well. 
So I agree with Kevin that we do need to bring about meaning, dignity at work. We need a sense of purpose. That is how we're going to have a society that is functioning for the future. Well, I've gone on a little bit of a rant here. I I did some visioning as well for the future, thinking, okay, what else can I think about? And this I did a little while ago, and it's something that came up to me today as I was planning this episode, is like, I wrote about 2073, because in 2073, I would be 100 if I live that long. But as I said earlier, 81.9 is where I'm headed at the moment, at least. And this is what I wrote. Organisational culture is no longer a phrase in use. Instead, there is an organisational current, vibe, energy or wave. And this is seen as more easily disrupted and therefore requires more care and careful attention. Culture is always a word that's hard to pin down. And although current or vibe or energy or wave might seem equally intangible, there's something delicate about them. I get the impression that a disruption would be noticed quickly and it would reverberate throughout as a proxy for mood or the emotional state. And of course, that's a long way in the future. Yeah, it's it's 51, 51 years away. So I had to bring it back to, OK, well, what about the next 10 years? What is the hero, my hero in 10 years going to be? And well, I'm still working that one out and you'll have to bear with me a little bit longer. And while I have some ideas, of course, I'm figuring it out as I go. And you will be the first to know. If you imagine a Venn diagram with three circles, there is the podcast, the business and writing. And in the middle is that future. So I will write the future. I will speak to the future and I will work to the future, my future. And I will bring you with me on this journey. And what does a journey take? Well, courage, (laughs) of course. And back to David White. David White says in Consolations that courage is the measure of our heartfelt participation with life. To be courageous is not necessarily to go anywhere or do anything, except to make conscious those things we already feel deeply and then to live through the unending vulnerabilities of those consequences. Hopefully what I've shown today is that this is something I care deeply about, and I'm willing to go into the future, into the unknown, and to to help make this somehow better, to keep asking these questions, to keep interviewing guests who have been there before, to keep doing the work that I'm doing to help figure out the future And in the writing, I want to explore more about emotions, the emotional state of the organization and the financial state of the organization. Can I look at those two things and tease them out together? So watch this space. And of course, I said at the beginning, there were two questions we were asked in that exercise. What is the work that it is mine to do? And the second one is what is required of me now? And I like this because it it brings me slightly back to one of my other favourite 
quotes that I've picked up during this podcast from episode nine, way back when, when I heard, first heard the phrase appropriate selfishness. One of my bosses spoke to me about appropriate selfishness. Ooh. And it's an interesting phrase. It doesn't sound that good, but there is an element of that phrase that's dead right. There are certain things that are important to you that you need to do to operate in a good way. You need to know what they are and make sure you get enough of them. And if that doesn't work with other people, be it your work or your home or other things, then something's got to change because if you're not getting uh, enough of the things you need in the right way, then you know, life sooner or later unravels. So what is being asked of me now? Well, I wrote on that evening, patience, persistence, exploring, learning, going forth bravely, having courage, connecting within freeing my voice, bringing strength, using my energy, my broad energy to take up space and go deeper. And I guess in a way you have to aim high. And that is exactly the clip I'm going to play from episode 13 about never think you're aiming too high. The lesson from that is Never think you're reaching too high. If you want to do something, go for it. Go for what you actually want. Because what I wanted was to sing in the London Phil. I didn't want to sing in the Croydon local choir. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to sing in the London Phil. So I went and I auditioned, I turned up and I got in. And that was that. So, yeah, it's something that... I, I sort of say to my little daughters as well, do what you want. And if people think you're reaching too high, you know, that's their problem. Thank you for listening. Thank you for helping me to get to episode 101. As I said, I'm taking a break. I'll be back in early October with episode 102 and we'll go from there. And there will be more about the future of work and our working lives, because that's what this is all about. This podcast is for people who are curious about how to have more fulfilling work lives. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in October. Bye. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.